we're going to continue this morning in this short sermon series on Psalm 96. I don't know if you all have taken the opportunity to read the psalm, but I would encourage you to do that if you've not done it. It's an awesome read. I know uh, we started last week strong one through six, the first six verses of the, of the, the book or the chapter of the book. And uh, I know many of you had said, wow, it was like a, a kind of a different experience this week, thinking about how we get to sing praise to God every day and all the time. A couple of crazy things that I saw that connected for me this week was uh, they're really out there. So I'm just going to throw them out there. But I was, I was watching this documentary on hunting and fishing. I'm not sure why I was doing that anyway. I'm not much of a hunter or fisherman, but I was watching it. And they had traveled to like Belize uh, to hunt in the, the uh, rainforest. And I'm just reminded of this because we talked about this last week, God putting a song in our heart. And there was this like language barrier, of course, because there was a common language of Spanish, but there were indigenous languages that, this, that they couldn't speak. They spoke broken Spanish. This, the Americans spoke broken Spanish, and so they were trying to communicate. And they did this great hunt. But at the end of the hunt, they did like seven or ten days or something, the rainforest hunting, everything that moved, basically. One of the indigenous warriors just began to sing. For no, they didn't just begin to sing. And the cameraman turns and starts filming this guy just singing randomly. And, this, and they're singing along. And afterwards, they, they try to interpret, what, what did that mean? I mean, a cappella, it was beautiful. And, and the guy said through a translator, I was just singing about the great hunt and the great relationships that we've, been have, we've had over the last 10 days. And I was just reminded again about how the word says that the Lord puts a song in our heart. Right, like that. There's an. I said that last week. I said it's like a. It's like a universal thing to sing praise. But I just see it. Just to see it like that. And then this second one's crazier than that. You think Belize and all that stuff's crazy? But I sent her. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how I missed this. I'm not. Multi- I'm not. I don't follow, follow culture like closely. But last week, Yay. <laughs> who knows? Who knows who Yay is? Kanye West dropped a worship album, a gospel album called Jesus is King. What? And I started watching this stuff. He's doing these Sunday services. And I'm just like, what? That's unexpected and crazy. And uh, I, I, don't, I don't follow him. I don't follow any cult, like celebrity types or anything. I'm not that. But I was just, it was like, why am I surprised that God would call forth praise? Why? But I am. If, and I, I'm not, in, I mean, if, if you follow culture, it's always like, hey, you never know what you're going to get, you know. But man, listen to that album. That first song on the album it's got this really weird thing where it just starts mid, mid-word, and then it ends mid-word. It's like a, a minute and 50-second song, and I'm like, what? That's a strange song. I mean, you know, Kanye West is kind of a strange dude anyway. And then guess what? It's made to play on repeat. <laughs> it's a looping song. You could just play it, and it's about always praying, always praising, always praying, always praising. And I'm like, he, made, he cut a song that you could put it on repeat and just let it play until you've had enough, I guess. <laughs> anyway, crazy stuff. And I just thought, man, how cool is it? Because I, I thought about what the psalmist said about sing a new song unto the Lord. And I'm like, man, that's a new song. Like, there's new songs to be sung. And when we gather together this morning, like, we're to worship and praise him together. So anyway, I hope you've been encouraged last week and thinking through the psalm. And um, this week, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. But hopefully, you've been maybe challenged a little bit. 
this is what we're doing in the series. We're asking the question, how do we worship or how we worship in life? And we started with the most obvious thing last week, which was to uh, sing praise, right? That we, we, we worship through song. And most often that's how we talk about worship is through song. But now today we're going to change it up a bit because the psalmist moves right on in this idea of how to worship and he breaks into the next, the next idea of how we are called to worship. And so we're talking about that today and it is to ascribe. And we're going to talk about what ascribe means and how that feeds into our life of worship and of praise and of constantly singing and of learning new songs and all that stuff. So we're going to, we always, we're going to pray before we get into God's word that he would inspire us to understand it. And then we're going to uh, talk through it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for a chance to be gathered together in your house to sing your praises together. I pray, Lord, that um, you are honored by our uh, attending to you, that you are honored by our singing of words about you, that ultimately, God, you are worthy to be praised, that you're worthy of our praise and our prayers, our presence, our attention, Father God, is rightly focused when it's focused on you. I thank you so much for all the ways that maybe in the last week you've opened our eyes to see the things that we've maybe not seen before. And then, Father, for the things yet to come that, that you are going to do great things amongst us in our lives. I pray that we have an attentiveness to what you're doing. You are good. You are our Father. You love us more than we could ever imagine. And so I just give you praise and thanks this morning for that reality. I pray, Lord, this morning as we come into your word that you would be our teacher, that your Holy Spirit would be teaching us in our hearts, that we could be changed because we've encountered you through your word. And we thank you so much for your word made flesh, Jesus Christ, who came and taught everything you told them to say to us, and then we have your, your, the history of praise captured in Scripture. Would you inspire us to understand that today? Aspire, inspire us to apply it to our lives, Father, as we learn together. We love you so much. We trust you with this prayer. We believe you can do it, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're in Psalm 96. If you have a Bible, you can find that. It's almost, you know, dead even in the middle of the Bible. If you don't, you can grab one of the, off the end of the chair row next to you. And we're on page 425 in those Bibles, so 425, Psalm 96. I'm actually going to read up to and including 7 and 8. So this will be a little bit of a recap, and then we're going to read the next two verses that we're talking about today. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. And in today's verses... Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. We talk about that second kind of stanza. You can feel the pattern in the text as we read that together. That we are called to ascribe to the Lord. That's the word today, ascribe. That's the title of the message today, ascribe. And we're going to start off by asking that first question. Well, what does it mean uh, to ascribe? When the psalmist uh, compels us or employ, implores us to ascribe to the Lord. What does it mean to ascribe to the Lord? And we know what it means to sing, right? We said sing, sing, sing last week, right? We're called to sing forth our praise and sing forth God's goodness and sing forth new songs that nobody has heard before. But now the psalmist turns and he says, so the same thing, 
a scribe, a scribe, a scribe. By the way, I don't know if you noticed that, but there's a pattern that develops here. Sing, 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 a scribe, a scribe, a scribe. As a matter of fact, the pattern just isn't found in the repetition, three times the same, but it's also found in the imperative. Just like the psalmist would say, Christian, you should sing. The psalmist would say, Christian, you should ascribe to the Lord. What does it mean to ascribe? That's a strange, strange word. Well, we're going to talk about that, what it means to ascribe. Ascribe most simply means to give. Give. And, and that should maybe raise some questions. Like, what, should, what could we possibly have as humans, as those who are made in God's image, that we ought to give to God? What does it mean? See, just like singing equaling worship, we have giving in a category. And we think, well, to give means a certain thing always. Maybe when someone says, well, how do you give? You think of, well, you can give what? You can give of your time, right? Or secondly, you can give of your treasure, your finances, or um, you can give of your abilities, your talents, right? We think about well, what we have to give. But that's not what God's saying when he says ascribe in the psalm. He's not saying give something that you have. To, to, get, to ascribe is to um, place or provide something. But what could it be that we have to give to God? Besides our time, talent, and treasure, what could we give? We're going to come back to that. The psalmist follows a pattern. Just like we're called to sing, we're called to ascribe. And there's a following. I don't know if anybody else has seen it yet, but there's another part of the pattern that is included in verses 7 and 8. Ascribe who? To the Lord. O families of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. See, it's funny, but we, we talked about that last week, about how we're called to sing to the Lord. That's who we're singing to. That's who we're talking to in our song and our worship. But it's also who we're going to be giving to the Lord. We're going to give to the Lord, the audience of one, the same, as the same person who's receiving our praise is receiving what we're giving to him. Well, then we ask some questions here from the text. Ascribe to the Lord. Who's to ascribe to the Lord? And this is what the word says. Families of nations. We give to the Lord. Who gives? Families. Families do. And we're just going to kind of talk about, well, that's a strange place to start. When the, when the psalmist writes and he says, ascribe to the Lord, he says, O families of nations. I want to point out a little bit of a differentiation here that we often say if we, if we, give, if our, we give our attention or we give our, our time or we give all these things to God that we have, we ought to do it as a, as a people, as a nation, right, as a group. Um, we often, we are uh, wrapping up the uh, uh, 40 Days for Life campaign today, and, and the, the thing we think about there is if the nation were to uh, turn to God and to pray and to submit to him, how much he would change the nation. But here in the text, actually it doesn't say ascribe to the Lord all you nations. I think that's interesting. It says ascribe to the Lord O families of nations. Not, not nations themselves, but groups in the nation. Well, who, who is this? When, when God's saying families of nations, what does that mean? The first and most obvious is it, it does mean families. But it also means clans, or it means tribes, it means peoples, it means gatherings of inside the nations. He's calling forth praise. 
I, I was thinking about this. We've been talking about Krabby, our, our student ministries, 6th uh, through 12th grade, and trying to get students involved in our ministries. And we, we think about maybe um, some ministries are having successes and some that are struggling more and what that looks like and how we can move forward. And, and one of the things that keeps coming back as we think about these things is who, who, has, who has primary responsibility to teach children to ascribe to the Lord? Many of us would say, well, it is a youth pastor who has the primary responsibility to teach children to, uh, to give to the Lord, right? Or um, maybe someone would say, uh, well, no, it's, it's the pastor that has the primary responsibility to teach all of us, including the children, to ascribe to the Lord. Or, or maybe it's some other religious expert. Or, or maybe it's a Sunday school teacher. I just recently talked to somebody and they said, I only wish there was a Sunday school teacher that could teach my kids everything they need to know about God. That's a great thing to want someone to instruct your children. But I wonder who has primary responsibility to teach the children. I think it's written here, families. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. The, the, I'm not, God has placed us in our families for a purpose, and he's placed our families with us for a purpose. The primary responsibility, seems to me, is to teach kids about God as family themselves. Just throw a little stat in here. This is interesting to me, right? When the psalmist says, families of nations, the most influential person in children's lives are parents. Now, as a parent, I can tell you that it doesn't always feel that way. <laughs> Especially as they grow up and get older. <laughs> it feels like you're the least influential person in their life. But statistically speaking, the person that, that children are ultimately being shaped by is their parents, for better and for worse. I think that's why the psalmist says, ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations. He means people groups. I was thinking about this, and I noticed an interesting biblical pattern develops when you think about families in the Bible. Here's a couple of thoughts. I just threw some out there, right? Looking at the whole of Scripture. When God destroyed the earth in a flood because of sin, he chose to save a family. We all tell the story about Noah, right? Noah, build the ark, you know? I'm going to wipe out the evil in the earth, and you're a righteous person. I'm going to wipe everything out and start over. I'm going to shake the etch sketch and go again. But I choose you, Noah, right? Not exactly. The word in Genesis 6 actually says that he chooses Noah and says, get your sons, your wife, and your son's wives. See, God's going to save a family. He's going to start again with a family. I heard someone teaching this this week, and they were saying, it's a model that God is illustrating his desire, his design for families to be the fundamental building block of civilization. People argue about this all the time. What's the fundamental building block? Genesis seems to say, God thinks, families. Or how about this? God called Abraham in Genesis 12, and he says this to Abraham, I will make you a great nation. And the reason that, so that promise is so surprising is because it's an inverse of what you'd expect. I'm going to make you, Abraham, a great nation. But who does he call with Abraham when he says, or Abram, I'm, I'm saying that wrong, when he calls Abram, who does he call? Abram, Sarai, and his nephew Lot. Like, Lot even takes the ride. He gets to go and follow God with Abraham, Abram, in the call. That's found in Genesis 12. That God's going to make a family a great people. See, that's interesting. A great nation out of Abram, if only he'd be obedient to the call. Here's another shocker. Might shock you. Kind of shocked me. Started digging into this. I'm like, well, who did Jesus call when he came around, right? 
Was he like, hey, you, 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 individually come follow me? Guess what? As I counted, eight of the 12 disciples were brothers. I knew like two, maybe four, but as I looked into it, about eight of them were brothers. And Jesus is calling to the apostles. He calls Peter and Andrew. He calls James and John, the most famous brothers, James and John, the brothers of thunder. I always love those dudes, right? I, don't even, I mean, I don't even know them, but I love them, right? Brothers of thunder. But then there's lesser known, Matthew and James. James the less, as he's known, because there's another James, it's the more. <laughs> They're brothers. And then Thaddeus and Simon are brothers in the scripture. So you have of, of, of 12 apostles called by God, he calls brothers. Matter of fact, there's one more that's known as Didymus, which is the twin. It doesn't mention his twin brother's name, but it says you're one of those two. It seems he's reaching into families. One last stop on this journey through the scripture. God saves Cornelius and his household in Acts 10. This is a powerful testimony because Peter thinks that the promises of Jesus Christ are for the Jews. And, John, and, and uh, Jesus is going to break this concept open, the revelation, through Cornelius in Acts 10. And he goes to Cornelius' house, and it says this, though. When Cornelius knew that the Lord said Peter was coming, he called together his relatives and his close friends. And then later in Acts 10, it says, when Peter was telling the story of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit fell on everyone who heard the message. That would be Cornelius and his household. And they all came to faith. Through the gospel, through the power of the story of Jesus Christ, Jesus saved a household of people, a family. I say all that to kind of under, underscore the idea that we ought not to dismiss or neglect the opportunity we have as a family to worship the Lord, to worship the Lord together. You know, we have time as families that we do things, and then we go, but now we're going to go to church, and we got to act right. <laughs> You never had the conversation in the church parking lot? <laughs> I've had that a few times. <laughs> Don't make me go in there. Okay. Because the truth is that we're forming our children, we're forming, wait, each other spiritually in our families. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations. This is the fundamental building block, the way God chooses to move and to use his gospel amongst us. Hence the way that we worship, how we are as family. See, it's a little different vibe than waiting for the expert out there to tell us what we ought to be doing. It almost, it's almost as if God trusts us enough to believe that we can be spiritual mentors to one another, encouragers, um, grievers, celebrators of all that God is doing. So I, I wonder, as part of your own family, and, and indeed, as part of our family, as a church, because I'm going to talk about that in a second, but how can you help to ascribe to the Lord? How can you help to give to the Lord? And we're going to talk about what we're, we're going to give in a minute. But, but how has God uniquely positioned you and your family? And I, I want to talk about your biological family first, and then your surrounding family, the people are with you. Many of us will say, but you don't know my family. My family's a mess. Okay, mine too, Right? But how has God positioned you in there to learn to give to the Lord, to ascribe to the Lord? Like, we're not talking about them, we're talking about us. How can we help give to the Lord through our families? Or maybe it's not your family of origin. You have that origin family story, and your origin family is a mess, and you're like, man, and I feel called out of that origin, but I'm now around people 
Brothers and sisters, you know there's a great promise in Scripture that says, when Peter says, we left everything to follow you, and Jesus said, there's nothing you've left, you won't get ten times more back. Mothers, brothers, sisters, right? They, they, they were being called into a family. How can we ascribe to the Lord amongst our, our, our called into family, right? Maybe it's people we're surrounding ourselves with right now. And then the, then the last, as I said, it was, it's, it's clans or it's tribes or it's families. That means any gathering of people. So then as a church family, we're going to talk more about this later too. How, how when we come together, can we ascribe to the Lord, give to the Lord? And as I said already, I do believe each one of us is uniquely positioned to do this. I don't think it's an accident that the psalmist writes seeing as a command and ascribe as a command. So now, what are we to give to the Lord? Exactly. I said we have these ideas of treasure, time, talent. Is that what God's calling us to give? And in the psalm, I think it is not. Look at the second part of verse 7. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations, ascribe to the Lord, what? Glory and strength. What? Give God glory and strength? Okay, maybe glory I can see, because you're like, I'm going to glorify God. Like, I'm going to give God glory. I'm going to glorify him more, right? We say that kind of stuff. But I'm going to strengthen God? I'm going to give him strength? Matter of fact, this might sound familiar. If it sounds familiar, this idea of glory and strength, it's because it is. It came one verse earlier in verse 6, <laughs> the same psalm. We just read it. Splendor and majesty are before him, the psalmist writes. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. He is glorious. He is strong. This idea of um, then, then if he already is, why are we to give to God what God already is? The idea of glory and strength is weight. The glory is weight, splendor, honor, right? He's heavy. He's real right? And strength is power, ability, might, or majesty. But how do you give that to God? The truth is this. He's not saying we're going to give him more strength. We're not going to give God more strength than he already has. But we're going to recognize, that's why the word ascribe, we're going to, I would say maybe, enumerate the attributes of God, that's one the psalmist is calling us to do. He says, sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord, and ascribe to the Lord. Tell God who he is. Tell God what he has done. And you what, wait, what? Is this part of our this, like, life, to walk around and tell God how great God is? Yes. Yes. That's what we're called to do, to ascribe to the Lord his glory and his strength, to ascribe to to him, the honor due his name. That's what the psalmist is writing to us. We are called to enumerate God's attributes. And by the way, if you've been reading Bible 360, or Family BC 365 this year, reading the Bible in a year, right? We've been cruising through the Old Testament, and I've been blown away by how much the Old Testament is God's people telling God, reminding God how great he is. Even in their sinfulness, They'll remember their sin as part of the story, but they remember God's grace as part of the story. But you, Lord, you won't crush us. You won't leave us. You won't abandon us. There's always hope in you. You called us out here. You brought us to this place. We have all these great iterations and enumerations of God's attributes. He's the, beginner. He's the beginning and the end, the starter and the finisher, the everything of our lives. 
Um, I want to, uh, let's see if I can flip there. Um, I want to read to you the, uh, just an example of this. We are almost, almost through the major prophets here. But I was reading this week, and I just want you to hear the words of Isaiah 64. I'm not going to preach this. I just want you to hear this, what the uh, prophet writes. I, and this is like kind of how we sing as well. If you've ever noticed our language used in our songs, especially the really great songs, are powerful, powerful words. This is what the, the, uh, Isaiah writes. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down and make your name known amongst your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. See, there's this like pleading of, of God to make himself known. For when, you did awesome, when, for when you did awesome things we did not expect, you came down and the mountain trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, nor ear has perceived, nor eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait on him. You come with, to the help of those who gladly do right, you re, who remember your ways. But when we continue to sin against them, you were angry with us. How then can we be saved? All of us have, come, have become like one who is unclean. All our, ra- all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We are shriveled up like a leaf. And like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls in your name, and no one strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and made us waste away because of our own sins. Yet, O Lord, listen to the word. You are our Father. We are the clay, and you are the potter. We are the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, O Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. O look upon us, we pray. For we are all your people. Your sacred cities have become a desert. Even Zion is a desert. Jerusalem is desolation. Our holy and glorious temple where our fathers praised you has been burned with fire. And all that we treasured now lies in ruins. After all this, O Lord, will you now hold yourself back? Will you keep silent and punish us beyond measure? Like, can you hear the Isaiah, the prophets, like, writing for the people of Israel, like, how long will this go on? Will you abandon us? He won't. It's remembering of the relationship. It's remembering of who God is in our lives. We have the opportunity to, um, to re- remember ourselves, God's goodness in our life. Let me tell you a practical way this works out, real for me, a practical way. There are many times it's a bad day. Things just go wrong. I don't mean bad day like my, I'm bad, you know, I'm running late. I mean bad days, bad news, bad things that nobody saw coming. The kind of stuff that makes you stop what you're doing at work. Makes you maybe get in your car and go home, right? One of the blessings that I have as a pastor is that sometimes in the middle of those bad days, people will, I'll get word, hey, pray for so-and-so, they're having a bad day. And one of the blessings is to be able to say in those moments of uncertainty, you know, we didn't know today was going to be a bad day, but God knew. Like, he's not surprised. You know, the, this is why the, the, the fullness of the text is such a blessing to us because the word says that he wrote every day in his book before one of them came to be. That's in Psalm 139. 
part of that knitting us together, like God knows who we are. He knows what we're going to go through. And in those moments, we can be reminded and remember ourselves that, listen, I might be surprised, but God isn't. I might be overwhelmed, but God isn't. I might not be able, but God is. And we can ascribe the true qualities of the Lord in our moments of difficulty or struggle. So I wonder then, if we think about these things, how many qualities of God do you know? You know this thing we say like, you know, God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. So that's one of the things, God is good. We tell ourselves that, right? Tell God that, you're good. What else do we know of God? God is loving. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever should believe in him would be saved. That that's how much God loves us more than his own son, that he would give his son, or he loves us in the same way he loves his son, that he would not abandon us in our sin. God is loving. God is love. What are attributes of God? There was um, this week, I read a quote from A.W. Tozer who says, the first thing that we think about when, we, when someone says God shapes our spirituality in a powerful way. The first thing you think about when someone says God shapes what you believe to a great extent about God. Well, I ask, how many qualities can you name? Then the next question is, do you name them? Do you name them to God? We're going to talk about how we do that in a moment. But how many do you know? This, I think, is the great opportunity we have to do things like read the Bible in a year or get in a small group or study, do a daily devotional, struggle, to wrestle, to try to understand more. Um, Too often, it's the God of our imagination, not the God of the Bible that we believe in. And then when we follow the God of our imagination, we're severely disappointed when things don't go a certain way because we made it up. If you want to know who God says he is, it's captured in the scriptures. We ought to know what they say. This then is part of the way that we ascribe to God his glory and strength as we remember his story. One final thought here, and then I'll move on to the, the last point, is this. What's Peter doing with Cornelius when he's talking, sharing the gospel? What's Paul doing when he's preaching the good news? He's remembering a story of a God who came to save his people. He's remembering a story of a great people called Israel who will be fully redeemed because of God's promises. And in the recollection of the story, in the remembering out loud of the, of the, of the great gift that we have in God himself, people come to know Christ and are saved. The Holy Spirit is poured out, as it says in Acts 10. So do you do these things? Do you ascribe to the Lord his qualities? By the way, I'm behind on that. I apologize. Qualities. And then the, the last question is, so that's the who, the what, then the why. So, so why should we do it? Well, the psalmist tells us why we should do it. Verse 8, ascribe to the Lord... Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. It's because it's owed him. This kind of praise is owed to God because God is good, because he is kind, because he is loving, because he is persistent, because he is sovereign, because he is all-powerful. We ought to enumerate these attributes to him because we owe him that much. I often wonder about this idea of being owed things, but there's this, there's this term of um, being given credit where credit's due, right? I mean, if you've ever, like, sat through a film, and you, I'm kind of a, a, the end credits scenes are doing now at the very, very end of all the credits, so you've got to set through all the credits to get to 
the scene. You know what I'm talking about? You wait for it. You can actually cheat and go online and see if there is one or not. Sometimes in the theater, you're like, okay, is there, am I staying for the credits or not? Why? Because we don't care who made it. We only care if we liked it or not. The guy, the second grip, Dolly, bus boy, whatever, you know what I mean? Have you seen the names? But the filmmakers think, no, these people are important. And it's all the more true when we're talking about the things of God. We ought to give God credit for who he is, and we ought to give God credit for all he does. We ought not get bored at the end after a great life and say, it's been a great day, but, you know, I don't really care who made it happen. That's not my concern. I just enjoyed it. As a matter of fact, one of the great um, uh, thoughts in this, our great thought on this, I guess, is that when when you're going through hard things, you're going through life, you're doing life, whatever, and and it's easy to get in a mentality of like, man, this is bad. This has been not great, right? But one of the things that I'm often reminded of others, by of others, is this. Yeah, but how much worse would it be? How much worse could it be if we didn't have God? Like, what are we being saved from that we don't even know? I know we know we're saved from our sin. We know we know we're saved to a better future. But what could it be that God is preserving us from that we don't even recognize? A moment of timing, a placement, a person, an encounter that just shapes life enough that we avoid a great tragedy, a decision. God's grace preserves us all the time. He sustains us. I love that we sang that song, um, I, didn't, I don't deserve it, I didn't earn it, and still you give yourself away. We sang those words today. Did you hear that? I was so stoked to hear that song. I didn't know I was in the songs today. We don't deserve it. How much does God save us from? Uh, there's this uh, great line that Dave Ramsey uses. I don't know if you guys are Dave Ramsey fans or not, but people always say, how you doing, Dave? And you know, it's like, what do you say, that? good, whatever? He says this all the time, better than I deserve. I think, man, that's a great line to use. Because I don't deserve it. I'm better than I deserve. If I, if I had what was coming to me, if it were not for Christ Jesus himself, how much worse would my life be? It's way better than I deserve. See, the truth is that ascribing God's attributes doesn't just, it, it's, we're called to do it, but what it does is it reshapes our lives. It reshapes our hearts. It reshapes our minds. It indeed reforms our souls to him. There's this uh, story in Exodus. Uh, I love this story. It's a terrible story. <laughs> Isn't that funny? It's a terrible story. I love it. If you've not heard this story, you've heard the story. It's the story of the golden calf. Exodus 32. Moses goes out to meet with God, and while he's away, Aaron, his buddy, he asked God for in his lament, or why are you sending me? He's like, I'm going to give you this guy Aaron to speak then. Aaron has this great idea, and they get together, and they have all the gold that the Egyptians gave them. They make a cow, and they dance around the cow, right? But that's all the backstory. I want you to hear this great conversation about how I think that ascribing to God who he is shapes us and our relationship with him. It reforms our souls. Verse 7 says this, Then the Lord said to Moses on that high holy mountain, Go down, because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it, and they have sacrificed it, and they have said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. They have fallen completely into idol worship. But what I love about this is God goes, these are your people who you let out. 
These are your people that you're supposed to be in charge of. And they're out there worshiping a golden cow instead of me. And I'm angry about it, right? And look at, this is why I love it. Then, oh, let's see, go down. Yeah, and then he goes on. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, that they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them, and then I will make you a great nation. Here it is again. He's going to promise Moses a great thing. And this is why I love this interaction with God. Verse 11, but Moses sought the favor of the Lord, his God. And he said, O Yahweh, O creator, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out only to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and don't bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all the land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. And then listen to this line, verse 14. Then the Lord relented, the word means sighed, and did not bring on his people the disaster that he had threatened to bring on them. I remember one time I was in a Greek class, and a, a, my professor, whom I love dearly, said, you're, you're a God sovereignty guy, right? I'm like, sure. He's like, I thought everybody was, by the way. <laughs> did God change his mind there? And I'm like, I think God changed Moses' heart there. God's like, these are your people. And Moses is like, no, these are your people. Because you know the rest of the story, right? Moses goes down the mountain, sees the sin, and then gets really angry himself about it. It had been easy before that for Moses to go down and say, hey, this is all fine, this is fine. But God had shaped his heart through this conversation. What? These are your people. You're the Holy One of Israel. You let us out of the desert. See, it reshapes us. We owe him our lives. It reshapes the way we think about God when we recognize who God is and what he's due. We owe him that much. I love that. I just love that interaction because it's so honest. Yeah, but you brought us here, and you let us out, and we are dependent on you for this. You can hear it in his pleading with God. You can hear what Peter said to Jesus. Where else will we go? You have the very words of eternal life. All right. So then how do we do it? So families called to ascribe the qualities, to give the qualities of God back to him, and to do so because we owe that to him. It's not like a secondary option thing in our lives as Christians. Well, how do we do it? I have four ways we can do it. First, we pray. When we pray. We tell God in our prayers who God is. Um, I was reminded of the fact that um, not only in the Old Testament were the psalmists recording songs and, and prayers to God and where they attributed to God his greatness and his deliverance and all those things, but Jesus himself, when the apostles came and said, Lord, teach us to pray, the disciples came and said, teach us to pray, and this is found in, um, if you want to look it up, it's found in Matthew 6 and, and Luke 11. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. And here's how you pray. Our Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know what's amazing about that? How few of us start our prayers that way? I don't know. By default, I have a tendency to go, hello, God. Here's all my needs. Not, hello, God, you are so good. 
You are such a blessing. I, you, I have no hope apart from you. You have saved me from so many things. You've been so good to me. By the way, here's a couple of things. Lead us not to temptation and deliver us from evil. <laughs> right? I mean, how many of us do that in our prayer lives? In our talking to God, ascribe his attributes to him in our prayers. Jesus thought it was the right thing to do. You want to know how to pray? This is how you pray. Our Father, family, who is in heaven, holy is your name. Matter of fact, in Luke, I don't think it even records this in heaven. I think it says, our Father, you are holy. Holy is your name. This is how we're called to pray. So when we pray, we can do this. We can ascribe to the Lord glory and strength in our prayer life. We can just make an effort. And I was reminded again this week, because when I started studying this, I'm like, I got to start doing this again, to spend part of our prayer time just telling God how good he is, how much he's delivered his people from, how faithful he is, how beautiful the gospel is. That's the first way. Here's the second thing. When we speak, when we speak to one another, we talk about being in our families. When others ask us questions, when we stand with them in difficult times, or when someone stands with us in difficult times, or when we share what we know about God, we ought to speak the attributes of God. How much does it mean to come from a friend or someone who's been with you for a while that they can say, but, but let me remind you of the gospel. Let me remind you of God's goodness. Let me remind you of how many things God's brought you through already. So can you handle this with God? Yeah. How many things have you already come through with him? This kind of attribution of God's goodness, of his presence, of his love, of his gift, of himself to us in everything. Paul says what? We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. We're more than overcomers. That's encouraging words. And we can use them when we speak to ourselves, when we speak to other people out loud. I mean, use our language, right? So prayer first is when I pray with God, we can talk to God with attributes, and then together with each other, we can pray, we can talk together about God's goodness. Here's the third then, how we live, how we live. And so we can live out a life that's full of the faith of who God is, full of demonstrations of who God is. The truth is that the word of God is not just be heard, Oh, yeah, I heard that sermon today, right? I heard the message. I heard that scripture. I, I listened to it this morning. And not only said, I can tell you what it says. I, I can tell God what the scripture says. But it's to be lived out. James 1 and 2 are full of this kind of narrative. You, you heard the word? Great. So be changed by it. Your faith, you believe? Good. So show me what you believe. And this is the opportunity we have then to live out our faith, live out the attributes of God. And it changes things for us to do that. And then the last is this, when we gather. And this gets back into that kind of tribe uh, of nations idea. But when we gather together with people, we can ascribe his great attributes, right? This is found in verse 8. Ascribe to the Lord, glory do his name. We owe him, the second part then, bring an offering and come into his courts. So bring a, an, a tribute to God and come into his, bring something with you in your life, in your living, in your praying, or in your talking to, to offer to God. And then, I love this, it says, when you come into his courts. I told you that the, the psalm is actually reiterated in uh, 1 Chronicles 16. But in 1 Chronicles 16, 29, what the word says is there's one change between the psalm we're reading and the psalm and, and, and where it's recorded in, uh, in 1 uh, 
First uh, Chronicles 16, and it's this. He says, when you bring a gift when you come before his face. When you come before the face of God, bring a gift to him, right? Bring an offering to him. What do we have? Time, talent, treasure? Yeah. Who he is. And, and this is what we're going to turn next week in this whole series, is this idea of worshiping God for who he is. But bring an offering when you come into his, to his face, but I love that in the psalm it says, into his sanctuary. It's like when you come into his safety, the word actually means the inner courts. We don't do it here in the States very often, but it's when you build your building like a box, and then there's a gate, and then there's a middle part of the building where you're surrounded, not by walls, but by rooms, right? You're in the inner court. You're in that place of safety, of security, where you can be who you are, where you need not be afraid anymore. So I, I wonder, like, what attributes of God do we need to know that we won't have to be afraid in this life? Like, what can we bring that we can remind God of that could shape our life, that we could say, yes, and now I can live differently in freedom, in boldness, or in, in holiness? What truth about the gospel of Jesus, do we need to remember that we can be set free from our sin? How can we know more of those attributes? I've already asked that question. And then the last one I have is this. Who can we stand with? I mean, who can we gather with? Who can we join in with to remember together God's goodness, his, his love? See, I'm convinced that God is doing something through families of nations and through people groups, right? And it's, he's shaping us in some way where all of us are required. All of us need to bring our gift of who he is. And then we can celebrate together. This whole thing is rooted in this great gospel of Jesus Christ where he invites us into his family, you know, where he um, loves us so much, more than I think I understand as far as what we're worth to him. Because I don't always see the value in myself or in others that Jesus must have seen in us. That he would give himself that we might be free. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the honor due his name. That's our calling as Christians. Pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you so much for your grace to us. We thank you for the reality that you have done what no one could do and certainly what we could not do of ourselves, that you would even spend time thinking of us and making a way for us, your people, your creation. Oh, we thank you, Father, for the Holy Spirit poured out amongst your people that we could know you, that we could be shaped and reformed by you and that you love us so much that you don't leave us where we are. <laughs> that you transform our lives because of your presence. Father, you are most worthy to be praised. And Father, for the times that we are like the Israelites, just wandering in a desert and we've forgotten and we, we act like we're on our own and we, we you know, whine and complain about the brokenness, Father, I ask you to forgive us for those brokennesses because we know that you're the God who saves. We know you're the God who rescues your people. Father, we thank you for that truth today. May you be glorified as your people are emboldened by the promises you make in your word and the promises you make to your people because ultimately, Father, it's you for your glory and your namesake making yourself famous among the nations. May you be glorified. May our lives be handed over to you that we could be glorifying to you in them. And may we follow you and our Savior, Jesus, the rest of our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.